Hey, South Suburban, we have a special treat this week. A friend of the church is joining us for the midweek podcast, looking at the New City Catechism. Across from us is Dr. Greg Allison, who serves at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, but he also has some great EFCA roots. We were at a conference together this week, so I thought I would invite him to join us for this midweek podcast slash video. So thank you for joining us, Dr. Absolutely, thanks. Thank you. Uh, So this week is going to be a little different. I'm going to start actually with our Bible passage. Again, we always encourage uh, memorization of a passage. So the the passage that this answer in question is rooted in is Acts 2, 24. It says, God raised him up, him being Christ, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Uh, And instead of me reading the question and answer, I'm going to ask Dr. Allison the question and he's going to answer and then we'll we'll do a little Q&A from there. Um, So... The catechism question, why must the Redeemer be truly God? And the answer is, according to the catechism, that because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective, and also that he would be able to bear the righteous anger of God against sin and yet overcome death. That's the catechism response. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fill in some details with Yeah, them. please. Thank you. So first, the sin of human beings is the background for the need for and the accomplishment of redemption by God the Son incarnate. So we are sinful human beings, guilty before God, corrupt human nature, and so we need redemption by God. Secondly, for redemption to take place, a penalty for sin has to be paid. So, in other words, an atoning sacrifice has to be offered to God to redeem us. Mm -hmm. Third, no sinful human being can pay the penalty for sin. Mm -hmm. Such an attempt at offering an atoning sacrifice would be futile and ineffective. It's not going to work. So four, only God can pay the penalty for our sin. That is, God alone can offer an atoning sacrifice that accomplishes redemption. At the same time, five, God must partake of human nature for his atoning sacrifice to be effective to redeem human beings. Six then, the God-man, Jesus Christ, paid the penalty for our sins. So by his atoning sacrifice, Redemption has been accomplished for us fallen, sinful human beings. And seven, being fully God, Jesus' obedience during his life and his suffering unto death as a punishment for human sin were perfect and effective. Mm. And then eighth and finally, being fully God, Jesus was able to bear up under the infinite, righteous, angry wrath of God against sin and then three days later, overcome death through yeah. his resurrection. Yeah. Um, can you maybe elaborate on the ideas of perfect and effective? Would you be able to do that? So the uh, atoning sacrifice, just even going back to the Old Testament sacrifices, yep. it had to be a perfect sacrifice. Yep. So a spotless lamb, which then looks forward to the spotless lamb of God, yep. the perfect sacrificial victim. And it's effective because the atoning sacrifice has to avail for the actual sins of actual human beings and not just be a theoretical construct or go part way with us then adding 
good works or church attendance or something like that yeah. to make it really effective. Right. Mm -hmm. It is it is his work that does this, the saving, not to which, anything. To which we can add nothing, yeah. right? Because it's perfect and yep. it is effective. It works, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you have Philippians 2, 5. I do. Here. Can you read just 2, 5, 5 through 8? In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Yeah. So two questions out of that. Sure. Um, one, um, how can that verse maybe be misunderstood and lead to some misrepresentation of who Jesus is? Um, and then second, how does that add to this conversation of Jesus being fully God and fully human? So a common misunderstanding is when it talks about the son emptied himself, mm -hmm. The misunderstanding is somehow the Son, in becoming incarnate, gave up some of his divine attributes, mm. like his omnipresence, his being everywhere, his nope. omniscience, nope. knowing all things, his omnipotence, uh, all-powerfulness, his eternality. There are certain divine attributes that would be inconsistent with him becoming a human being that the Son put in cold storage, you know, yielded, <laughs> transferred, right, whatever, something like that. Yeah. And, um, and so the Son incarnate was somehow less than fully God. Mm. Okay. There's all kinds of theological problems with yeah. that. But there's more importantly a biblical problem because this passage talks about the incarnation not in terms of subtraction, mm -hmm. yep. the Son yes. losing some of his <clears throat> attributes, yep. but it's addition. Remaining what he always was, fully God, the yeah. Son became that which he had never been, fully human. Mm -hmm. So the incarnation is not subtraction of deity, it's the addition of human nature. Mm -hmm. So there's theological problems, there are biblical problems with this misunderstanding that the Son gave up some of his divine attributes. Yeah. But rather, the passage emphasizes that the Son, from eternity past, through his the entirety of his incarnate life and into eternity future, is fully God. Yeah. The, right, the the exact nature of the Father, and we could add the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So participating, right, sharing in the same divine nature, uh, He is fully God and not a demigod or somehow lesser God. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's a beautiful passage just in terms of Christ's nature, right? Yeah. But then He's our our model, right? Exactly. You have yes. His mind in yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So though he existed in the form of God, though he is fully God, yeah. that privilege, that honor, the glory, he doesn't hold on selfishly, he doesn't grasp onto it selfishly, but yeah. he takes on human nature and he becomes the model for us. Yeah. So last question then. Uh, how does I might have more, just, uh, just whoa, to warn you. Do you want to add your questions now? No, I you, you finish. You, well, oh, so. I was going go to go to some of the application. Okay, go for it. Take it on. <laughs> okay, well, so uh, one question I just had in, in relation or connection to this. One of the most well-known songs that I've sung at every church that I've been at is How Deep the Father's Love for Us, which has the line in there, the Father turns his face away. Should we continue singing that song? Never. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> It preaches great. It uh -huh. sounds great when uh -huh. singing, and it's completely wrong. Uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, imagine the sun hanging on the cross, mm -hmm. um, 
being abandoned by the Father such that for the period of crucifixion we have a binatarian God, yep, yep. Father and Holy Spirit, and the Son has dropped out. Right. Yeah. Per impossible. That's not it. Yeah. And also, the, the Son on the cross doesn't cry out, My Father, my Father, why have you abandoned me? Yeah. That would be kind of the misunderstanding behind those words. Yep, yep. The father turned his face away. Yep. Rather, he cries out, my echoing God. Psalm 22, yep. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the lips of Jesus, that cry of dereliction is the cry of dereliction that we would have experienced except mm. for his atoning mm. sacrifice, paying the penalty for our sins. Yeah. So, so instead of the father turning his face away, it's almost the father doubling down in an intense gaze and yes. pouring out his anger upon. Exactly. We God's don't want to presence. minimize that. Yeah. God's yeah. presence in wrath yes. rather than yes. God's yes. presence in... And I think we also have to consider it this way. So the father sent the son to accomplish the mission of salvation by crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And the son always acted in obedience to the father, mm -hmm. doing the father's will. As the Son is hanging on the cross, obeying the Father fully to the very end, I, I, we can only imagine the Father's infinite pleasure mm. yeah. on mm. his obedient Son, mm. such that he's not forsaking him who is now fully obedient, obedient but I think the, the Father is pleased. This is mission accomplished. Mm -hmm. yeah. The atoning sacrifice has been offered. Redemption has been accomplished. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so in, in today's culture climate, do you think we in, in the church at large are more prone to emphasize Christ's humanity or his divinity? And what do we need to be aware of to help ensure that we don't, in response to that, swing too far the other way? Yeah. I think we're looking for a model for us as Christians, and so the tendency may be swinging towards his humanity. Well, you probably see that with the He Choose, or He Gets Us, the campaign. Have you been seeing yes, some of that? Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to use another contemporary <laughs> illustration of The Chosen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. uh, can I say that I really appreciate that show? Yeah. Because this is going online, just yes, it is. I know, <laughs> so you can say it. Yes, I can say it, right? Why I appreciate it, it, it does portray Jesus as fully human, but it does not, I don't think, minimize his deity. Yeah, mm. it, it, his miracles, for example, they're not done in a Disney-esque way yeah. with, you know, with lights wind and wind and blowing, yep. right? <laughs> and, and smoke and fire and magic and stuff like that. Uh, and he, he looks at the person, puts his hand on the person, prays, and the person's healed. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's, maybe we'd say it's understated, but I, I don't think so because he's the God-man performing this miracle. Yeah. It's not so, rationalized. It's it, not scientifically explained. It is still a yeah, miraculous and, work. And it is a miraculous work, but, but it's not this Hollywood explosion and ecstasy yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So um, I hope with The Chosen that whereas people grasp the humanity of Jesus, they also see... He is fully God, because that's the that's the biblical picture. That's mm -hmm. the that's theologically sound. That's a history of the church. We affirm both the his, the uh, humanity and deity of Jesus. Mm -hmm. But I yeah. think you're right. I think there is this tendency towards emphasizing his humanity, and some of it is there's certain movements. You know, uh, Jesus was primarily a man filled with the Holy Spirit, 
you, Michael, are a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, what Jesus did, you can do. Right. Why right. aren't you walking on the water? Why aren't you feeding the 5,000? <laughs> yes. Why aren't you, yep. right? Well, and, and we, even as we read here, there is yep. an imitation aspect yep. yes. or aspiration yes. to yes. be like Christ. But there are some things that Jesus did that you can't do because Correct. you're yep. not the God-man. Yep. yep. Well, I, I'm preaching on Mark 2 this next week. Okay, yes. Um, I cannot forgive sins. Yeah. Right. Nor can I tell someone your sins are forgiven. That's right. I, I, there's, there's a big difference right yeah, there. Yeah. Well, and even the miraculous, when John is doubting in yes. prison, yeah. Christ responds with, I have healed, I have redeemed, or I have cast out demons, I yes. have done these things. The signs that he was the Messiah, yes. the Savior of God, were in his miraculous dealings. Exactly. Yeah. They prove that he is the Son of God yeah. incarnate. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also important to note, along with the Gospel of John, he's the Son of God incarnate, filled without measure, extensively Mm -hmm. and intensively, by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So the person of the Son incarnate is everything that he is and does everything that he is in obedience to the Father and filled with the Spirit in every moment of his life. Yeah. Even we saw this in Mark 1, the language Mark uses is the Spirit drove Jesus after his baptism into the wilderness. And we sometimes misunderstand that. Mm-hmm. It's like the Spirit pushed him into the wilderness, kind of, you know. <laughs> it's like, great, you're out there, I'm done. Yeah. Kid, yeah. Good luck. You're, good luck, you're on your own. I'll see you on the other side, yep. 40 days and 40 nights, you know. Do your best, uh-huh. right? You know, Jesus was driven into the wilderness, and in the wilderness he faced down all the temptations of the evil one, the Son being filled without measure by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. yeah. relying on the Word of God and prayer and obedience to the Father. Yeah. Um, you, you, it's a phrase that you just mentioned that I want to ask why that phrase, without measure. Yeah. Filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. Why that phrase for Jesus? Uh, John 4.33 or 3.34. Okay. Yeah. So he's filled without measure. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's a point that John makes. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the, the Son and the Holy Spirit eternally relating to one another. Mm -hmm. That relationship doesn't change in the incarnation. But as the God-man, the the Father pours out the Holy Spirit on the Son without measure. Mm -hmm. That is distinct from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament on prophets and kings and judges. They were poured, he was poured out with a, in a measured way for a temporal period of time on the Son. It's an extensive and intensive outpouring, filling of the Holy Spirit to enable him to be the Son of God and carry out all of his works. Now, another important thing, just to go with that, and I'm sorry to continue to go your questions. I was going to say, we got we to gotta wrap Because he has up. a whole book on the Holy Spirit, too. <laughs> I know. So, uh, in the baptism, that wasn't the moment that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think so. Because it, there was no separation. Right, exactly. So, there's a manifest, at the baptism, there is a manifestation. Yes. Mm. Uh, the, the Spirit comes upon him anointing him uh, like those of, in the Old Testament. But this, that's not with oil, it's but the Holy Spirit yep. uh, marking him out now as the Messiah who will embark on his messianic ministry of the atoning sacrifice for yeah. our sins. So more yeah. of an inauguration than a I like the, the word Testament. inauguration. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly, okay. yeah. Yeah. So clearly, uh, there's a lot that can be talked about, especially as we think about the deity of Christ and his uh, manhood and this the God-man Christ. There's a, there are books and books and tomes and libraries filled with information. Um, so he's written some, if you want. He's written some. Yes. <laughs> so um, I've got a big book called The Holy Spirit, uh-huh. Allison I, and Kostenberger, right? I have it on my shelf if anyone wants to borrow it. Um, June, June 6th, a new book coming out, God, Gift, and Guide, mm. Knowing the Holy Spirit. 
for lay people. Oh, Great. that's yeah. It's it's uh, in, in a series. Uh, no, just, just standalone. standalone. That's I, awesome. I think I think particularly people listening to this yeah. will yeah. really enjoy that. Yep. So to bring it back down then yeah. for our for our congregation, um, how does the, the truth of, of Christ being fully God encourage us as disciples, as followers of Christ in our day to day routines? Uh, we can worship. We should worship uh, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. who's fully God. Yeah. He's the God Man, ascended, exalted to the right hand of the Father. He is worthy of our worship, our praise, our adoration, our obedience, our trust. Yeah. Um, also, at being fully God, He is able to meet us and provide His grace and mercy to us. Uh, he's our high priest, so he's both God and man, but uh, he is able to um, give us his grace and mercy even in the most desperate moments of our life. Yeah. And he's not an insufficient or incomplete God. He's fully God who can meet our needs fully. We never need another yeah. intermediary. If you're from a Roman Catholic background, Mary, we don't even need pastors. Well, we, we, they, they play within a role. A different within thing. a different thing. That's, right? that's your other one. It's, 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 that's right. <laughs> right. They, they are important um, mediators, right? Well, but, we, but we can also say this. we also don't need professors, okay? Yeah, oh, they, that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So... Yeah, uh, so, so he is fully God, able yeah. to um, meet every one of our needs. And because he's fully God and fully man, he's the God-man, right? So he makes the Father known. Mm. Philip says he, or Jesus says to Philip, he who has seen me has seen yes, the Father. Father. Yeah. So we know that when we, if, if we want to know what God is like, Look at what Jesus is like presented in the Gospels and the New Testament. And I'll look at what he's like, and then we can see what God himself is like. Yeah, it really it, it, it brings clarity, I think, to, to Hebrews, where it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, yes. the, the author, author and perfecter, perfecter of your faith. Of our faith. Both yeah. those are important. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank Absolutely. For your time. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Great.